Good evening. I don't think this seems as loud as it was on Sunday, but hopefully it's loud enough. Now, if you would open your psalm books to Acts chapter 16, and then also the books of 1 Thessalonians, that's where we will be in this evening, and back and forth, primarily in those two books. This year again, I have the privilege of giving the introduction lesson to our summer series. I think it, I'm not going to get out of it at this point. It's been four years in a row, and I don't see how I'm going to get out of it. Um, but I, I enjoy making the study. It's, it's good to get into. It's a different for me to get into an overview of why things are written versus just looking at the scriptures themselves um, and learning a little bit more about the location and the uh, recipients and then also the authors of the book. Uh, I encourage each of you to be at every lesson we have coming up. Um, and if you cannot be here to listen and watch, um, these books are both rich in knowledge and uh, great instructions for us. Uh, as an overview of our lessons, I obviously will have the introduction lesson introducing us to both First and Second Thessalonians this evening. Uh, after this, Russ is going to follow with a special study on the Church of Thessalonica, so I will try not to step on his toes too much this evening. Um, then we'll dive into book chapters for that until we get later on in the summer series, and then we're going to get into a couple more studies, special studies, and one is the Man of Sin, and then the Second Coming, and then we'll be followed by an overview lesson. So that's the general idea of what our uh, summer series is going to be like. So. Without going too much more into that, let's dive into uh, the book of Thessalonians. First of all, let's look at the, the penman of the gospel. I say penman versus author because we, we know that uh, the author was God. Um, the true author is God because it says there in 2 Peter 1, 21, which we studied last year for the summer series, it says, For prophecy never came by will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So Paul was moved by the Holy Spirit to write this word. But we know he's the one who wrote the wrote words. We can see that first in there in 1 Thessalonians 1.1. 1, 1. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, again all three together there, to the church of Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So very obvious, Paul was the penman. Um, so let's talk a little bit about Paul. So the same man who was at the stoning of Stephen in Acts 7.58, you know, the people who stoned him laid their coats at his feet, and then we read in Acts 8.1, he consented to the death of Stephen, is now the author of the books of Thessalonians. The first books that um, people believe that he, that what he ever wrote. So the same man who made havoc of the church, entering in every house and dragging, them, dragging off men and women, committing them to prison, Acts 8, chapter 3. The phrase, made havoc, was interesting to me. I was listening to Tony Smith on his introduction to the book of Thessalonians for the OABS class. It means to treat shamefully or with injury, to ravage, devastate, and ruin. Um, according to Thayer's Greek lexicon, and again, uh, what Brother Tony brought out, but Paul's goal as a Pharisee was to of the Jewish law was to persecute the way to death, Acts 22, verse 4. Uh, so he was very much 100% against the church 
and then turns around, and we learn later he is 100% for the church. So it's quite the turn. So we all know what happened to Paul that based um, on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9 when he came face to face with Jesus. And it, that meeting turned Christ into a believer. Robert Taylor has this to say about the conversion of Paul. He who had come to tear down the infant and budding cause now sought to strengthen it. He who had come to bind men in the shackles of physical chains of pharisaical prejudice now sought to loose men from the severe shackles of sin and their powers of serfdom. I had to look serfdom up. I wasn't familiar with that old term. It's a state of being a serf or i.e. a slave. Um, he who had come to persecute now became the persecuted. So again, we have this man... Like I said, his way was to per- his job and what his goal was was to persecute the way to death. Now came to be persecuted and was ultimately put to death because of that. And then Paul briefly mentions the same thought that Brother Taylor had there in First Timothy one three when he says, "Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief." So he admitted he was all those things and he did all that to the church. Um, as I was reading Brother Taylor's book on First um, and Second Thessalonians, it's a Bible class book, 13 lessons. I was just amused. I was laughing at it, and Shell sitting across the way from me. Even in writing of a book for a classroom, preachers can't get away from some things. He uses alliteration about Brother Paul, um, and Shell just laughed about it too. Um, so we're going to mention them all. We won't go into every single one of them because this isn't a study on the Brother Paul. So Paul was a, let's all start with P, powerful penman. He was a prolific penman. He was a practical penman, a plain and pointed penman, a profitable penman, a persistent penman, and then lastly, a permanent penman. So like I said, there's a sermon in itself right there on the Brother Paul and the lessons. But that's not the reason we're here. So first thing I do, I want to look at a few of them, is that Paul was a prolific penman. Um... Paul wrote over a period of 14 to 16 years, and if we attribute Hebrews to him, he wrote over 14 books of the 27 books of the New Testament. So his chapters number 100 of the 162 books of the New Testament, um, and he penned more than 25% of the New Testament. So in comparison, he's about like Moses for the Old Testament, because Moses penned about 25% of the Old Testament. So we have that, like, that's very prolific. That's a... So much writing that he put into that, obviously inspired by the Word of God. Paul was a plain and pointed man. Plain, can't spell. Plain and pointed penman. Um, plain and pointed is just simple and to the point. You knew where he stood. I like to read self-help articles and whatnot, and, and I am subscribed to this Farnham Street, and they send different articles about different stuff to us about to me about business and different things and how to become a better professional, a better person. And there was an article in there that says, Steve, Steven Pinker on why your professional writing stinks. Um, you know, obviously that's a title that's going to catch your eye, and it's an article you're probably going to, going to read. And so I read it a while back, and as I was working on this lesson, it made me think uh, about it. So he says, why your writing stinks and what to do about it. So he starts out with the following statement, and then he obviously goes into more detail, which we won't. He says, we know a lot about a topic. It can be difficult to write about it in a way that makes sense to a layperson. In order to write better your prof- about your professional specialty, you need to avoid using jargon and abstractions. Put yourself in the place of the reader and try asking someone from the intended audience to read it. 
I have read technical articles and sometimes I don't have a clue what I just read because it wasn't written for me. It was a technical article. Uh, I have a job of reading regulations. Regulations are written by lawyers. Contracts are written by lawyers. I read and I have to reread and I have to reread to understand. And we have to do that sometimes with the scriptures, but for the most part, with Paul's writing, you don't have that problem. You know exactly what he said and why he said it. He was plain and pointed. You knew where he stood on an issue, and you'll understand that issue better after reading his words and the many epistles he penned. And lastly, Paul was a permanent penman. Uh, many attempted to silence Paul. He was ran out of city after city after city while he was preaching. Um, but he couldn't be silenced. He was persecuted. We know that. He was put in prison. Uh, I was thinking about that. There's that section of Scripture where he talks about all the things. He was shipwrecked, and he was beat. He was stoned and left for dead. It didn't matter. He kept going. He was in prison, and he kept preaching, and he teaching, and writing epistles. Um, and just like many have tried to silence Paul, many have tried to silence the Scriptures. And they can't be silenced. His writings and the writings of God and what we have in the New Testament continue on to this day. Um, and so Paul's words, his penmanship and what he put down as inspired by the Holy Spirit are permanent. They don't go away and they won't ever go away. Um, and we can learn so much from them. And I hope that's the case that we can do so over the next three months during our study of First and Thessalonians. So moving on to the time and place of the writing. Depending on what source you read, again, I read a lot of commentaries and a lot of things on First uh, and Second Thessalonians. His first visit to Thessalonica was somewhere between 50 and 53 A.D. Uh, so, again, somewhere in that time period, it doesn't have to be exact, but that's the time and place of his first visit as, during his second missionary journey. And it's believed he penned the, same, the letter to the First Thessalonians in the same year he visited there, while he was in Corinth. Um, and then the second letter to the Thessalonians, a short time thereafter, some authors and some commentators think it was early the next year. Uh, and they are believed to be written from Corinth. So as, as I said, if, if we go back over to Acts chapter um, 17 and 18, or 16 and 17 and 18, all those, 16 is where he's ran out, 17 is when they went into Corinth, um, and then 18... <coughs> Is where he, or I'm sorry, 17 is when he was in Thessalonica and then ran out of there. He was in Athens, Berea, Athens, then he wound up in Corinth. And Corinth, he was there for, according to the scriptures, um, for 18 months, it says in one section, and then it says he was there for an extended period of time, uh, paraphrasing. So that's verses chapter 1811 and 1818. It says, so 1818 says, so Paul still remained a good while. What's a good while? Uh, we know before in 1811 it was 18 months, and then 18 says he remained there a good while before he returned to Antioch. So that's where they believe, uh, scholarship believes that the books were written from. Now let's move on to the recipients of the letter. This is where I had to be very careful not to step into the church of Thessalonica on Russ's lessons. But we'll talk a little bit about the Thessalonians this evening. The ancient name of the city was Therma or Therm. So that was interesting. It comes from the hot springs located around the area. It's in modern day Greece um, and it's lo located on the Thermaic Gulf. I have no, no clue what that was. I had to look it up in a map. So, Thermaic Gulf, Gulf 
and was an important harbor for the providence of Macedonia. At one time, it was the capital of one of four districts in Macedonia, but then when Macedonia was united, it became the capital of that one district of the entire province. Thessalonica is also situated really close to Mount Olympus. If we know much about Mount Olympus, it was the home and the mythical center of the Greek gods and goddesses. Um, so therefore, there's a lot of paganism in Thessalonica due to that location. And also, Macedonia, like it is in modern-day Greece, so much like the Greeks, the Macedonians considered fornication and adultery common and normal. So Paul definitely had his challenge in front of him. Um, however, we know, as we're going to read here in a minute in Acts chapter 17, he was successful in setting up faithful brethren, setting up congregation and church there in Thessalonica. Uh, Thessalonica still exists today. Uh, a lot of biblical cities are not, but Thessalonica is. It's known as Salonica or Salonika in Greece. And it's the second largest city in Greece with over one million people today. And what's interesting reading about it says sometimes if you were to tour the city, there are you can do historical tours and people reference parts of the city that go all the way back to biblical times. So Acts chapter 17, verses 2 through 4. How did the congregation come into being? We'll start in 17, verse 1. And now when they had mass, sorry, passed, mass, passed, not mass, through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Then Paul, as was his custom, went into them, and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, and saying, This Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded, and the great multitude of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women, joined Paul and Silas. So there we have the beginning of the church in Thessalonians. And that's all I'm going to say about that, because like I said, I don't want to step on Russ's toes. Uh, why were these books written? Why did Paul need to write to the church at Thessalonica? Um, when Paul was done in Philippi, in Acts chapter 16, I say done in Philippi, he's kind of forced out of Philippi after being imprisoned and beaten. Um, so then he was kind of let, let out of prison and they didn't want anything to do with him because they found out he was a Roman. He then went into Thessalonica here and he preached for three Sabbaths. Uh, Paul preached on the Sabbath because he knew that's where people were. It's not because he believed in the Sabbath, because... That's where people were. That's where religious people were. And that's where he went to refute the Jews and their sentiment. Um, so he preached for three Sabbaths. And then again, he was forced out of Thessalonica. Um, so if we look at just that time period and say worst case scenario, 27 days. Three Sabbaths, so he goes Saturday, you know, three Saturdays, the days in between. If he got there on Sunday and he was forced out for the next Sunday or Saturday, 27 days. Let's just take that. 27 days to preach and teach. Um, a great multitude of devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women, the gospel. That's a lot. Of, sounds like a lot of people. Not a few. A great multitude. Uh, the gospel and the truth. Of course, he had... Silas and Timothy with him to teach. But he's got to teach all them, I'd say, theoretically, 27 days, and then he's got to leave. You're on your own. Good luck. Um, that's, that'd be rough. That'd be rough for anybody. 
Here I'm going to give you 20 days, 27 day crash course, and you're on your own. Hey, they say if you look, read stuff, it takes 10,000 hours to become an expert on something. An expert is you knowing everything about it, give or take a little. Um, but these Christians were left to their own to deal with the persecutions, to deal with the paganism that was there, and then obviously the Jews who didn't want them there. Uh, if you think about today, we teach somebody the gospel. We do multiple different things, right? Here's a book on what it means to be a Christian. This is what you, you know, study, and this is what it means, and this is what you're going to do. So we give them reading material. I don't know if Paul could give them reading material, especially when he's ran out of the country, ran out of the city really quick. Um, or we have, you know, new believers Bible classes in some congregations. If you have larger congregations with new Christians, uh, and so you're able to take those newborn Christians, those infants, and teach them and train them and help build up their knowledge and their strength. Paul didn't have that. He didn't have that ability. Here's the congregation. Here's the truth. They believe. Sorry, i got to go. Like, I'm sure he was very sorry he got to go, but that's what ha had to happen. Um, so, again, going back to why these books were written, you got to think he had great concern for those brethren. He obviously had great concern for all the brethren because every single one of his missionary journeys, he would go back and visit those congregations, those places he set up, uh, to teach them and encourage them and uplift them the way he could. But if we go to First Thessalonians chapter three, turning back over to our books this evening, Paul goes on to talk about the brethren there and the concern for them. He says. Starting in verse 1, Therefore, when we could no longer endure it, we thought it good to be left in Athens alone, and sent Timothy, our brother and minister of God, and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ, to establish you and encourage you concerning your faith, that no one should be shaken by these afflictions, for you yourselves know that we are appointed to this. For in fact, we told you before when we were with you that we would suffer tribulation, just as it happened, and you know. For this reason, when I could no longer endure it, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter had tempted you, and our labor might be in vain. He was concerned. So he sent Timothy, please go back to Corinth. He's now in Athens. Go back to Corinth, or not Corinth, sorry. Yeah, get it right. Some, they run together. Apologize. Go back to Thessalonica. You know, find out how they're doing. You know, I, I need to know. Um, and he felt he needed to stay at Athens. And we know at Athens he preached to the uh, pagans there about the unknown God. So Timothy returns. We see in 3, 6 through 10, it says, But now that Timothy has come to us from you and brought us good news of your faith and love, and that you always have good remembrance of us, greatly desiring to see us, as we also to see you. Therefore, brethren, in all our affliction and distress, we were comforted concerning you by your faith. For now we live if you stand fast in the Lord. For what thanks can we render to God for you, for all the joy with which we rejoice for your sake before our God, night and day, praying exceedingly that we may see your face and perfect what is lacking in your faith. So Timothy returned with good news. Paul's relieved. But that's not all. He, he's relieved that they're still faithful. He's relieved that they're still working for the faith. It doesn't say it, but it obviously seems that Timothy brought other news. And we know that by the rest of the books. He brought other news. Issues that need to be addressed. So as Paul moves forward in chapter 4 and verse 5... He addresses those issues, and we will kind of 
briefly go over those a little bit this evening um, because we'll be going into more detail as each person is presenting their lessons. And then the entirety of chapter 2 is dealing with issues. Um, it, there's not really... You know, I assume that both of those issues were brought... All those issues were brought to him at the same time. I don't know that for sure. The scriptures don't necessarily say the difference of why there's two letters other than probably he was inspired to. Um, but Paul wrote the letters to address the issues that Timothy brought to them, to him, when he came back from from Thessalonica when he was in Corinth. So, from the writing of the letters, uh, you can take a little bit, there's three purposes in mind that he had to write these letters. First um, Thessalonians 1, he praises them for their steadfastness under persecution. Like the first few chapters of First Thessalonians, he's talking about how they're being persecuted and how they're doing, doing well. Secondly, he instructs them concerning holy living. And then third, he corrects any misunderstanding, especially regarding the second coming of Christ, which we'll talk about a little bit more in a second. And then Second Thessalonians, he again encourages them in their steadfastness under persecution. He corrects their misunderstandings about the imminence of the Lord's return. And he instructs the congregation on what display action to take to the, toward those who refuse work. So he covers those in each of those two books. So that's kind of like why it was written. Um, so let's look at a brief outline of the scriptures here. A central theme in both of these books is the second coming of Christ. Every single chapter of First and Second Thessalonians, all eight chapters, has at least one verse on the second coming of Christ. First, the idea is mentioned in 1 Thessalonians 1.10, where Paul says, And to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. 1 Thessalonians 2.19, he goes on, For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing, if not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 13 says, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in, hol- blameless in holiness before God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. 1 Thessalonians 4, chapter 13 through, or verses 13 through 18. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will ascend from heaven with a shout, with the, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are living and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Going into the second book of Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 7. And, and to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. 2 Thessalonians 1-3. through 3. Now brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you, not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means, 
For that day will not come unless the falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. And then lastly, 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 5. Now may the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patience of Christ. So, we can see there's, obviously, there's a central theme, and that's the second coming of Christ. Paul covers a lot of other material in here, but that is a constant. In every single chapter, he talks about the second coming of Christ. There was obviously some confusion on that, some false teaching that was being presented to the brethren at Thessalonica, and he felt that that needed to be corrected. So, moving on, so just a brief outline of each chapter here. Each book of Thessalonians begins with a greeting, um, or salutation of the brethren. Paul was always eager to greet the brethren to, um, you know, and encourage the brethren. He says, grace and peace to you from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ in, ver- in chapter 1, First uh, Thessalonians 1.1. 1, 1. Then he says in 2.1, to the church Thessalonica and God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. He goes on chapter, in verse 2, grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. So he, was, he always introduced each letter with a greeting to the brethren and salutation. Uh, the rest of chapter 2 and 3, Paul deals with thanksgiving toward the brethren, his defense of his conduct and his concern for them. Uh, there are some who are speaking poorly of Paul, and he was defending himself in those chapters. Um, and then he talks about in the second half of chapter 2, you know, his longing to see them. He is wanting to come see them. He's being hindered, but um, try to do that. Chapter 4 and 5 deals with instruction and encouragement to the brethren. Um, you know, talk about before holy living, to live holy. And then he closes out the first book with conclusions of blessings and admonition. So I really like the way Paul always, he starts out uh, with love and mercy and grace and peace, and he closes it, you know, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. So he is always positive in that and, and wanted that for them and prayed for them. So again, the second book begins with uh, greeting and salutations. And then the rest of chapter 1, he deals with uh, comforts in affliction or encouragement in persecutions. It's interesting, I, I, not really interesting, but it, to tie it back into last year's summer series, the reason he was writing to the brethren, Peter was writing there, was because of persecutions, to encourage them in their time of affliction and persecutions. And here, Paul is doing the same thing. Looking in the wrong chapter there, I almost said Timothy. Paul is doing the same thing for the flesh and Thessalonican brethren to say, you know, to be encouraged and know that their persecution has a purpose. Chapter 2 mainly deals with the instructions regarding the return of Christ. Um, and then chapter 3 is Paul's final exhortations, and then he deals a little bit about church discipline, uh, which is obviously an important issue and to keep the uh, leaven out of the congregation. So why should we study First Thessalonians, Second Thessalonians? Um, why should? Why are we having the summer series? Uh, well, the main reason is the scripture. It's the scriptures. We study the scriptures. Okay, but it should be every Christian's goal to study, learn, and grow from the scriptures. All right. Taking this summer to gain a better deeper, richer understanding of the Thessalonian book is a privilege. 
And we should all look forward to coming here each and every Wednesday to hearing um, another one of the men of this congregation who are willing to take the time to study and to put together a lesson to bring forth to everybody. Um, especially for some of us who aren't preachers and we don't do this and we weren't trained you know, on how to preach. So it's a privilege um, and it's encouraging for each one of us that's up here when you're in the audience to come and learn. Um, Thessalonians is also full of wonderful and powerful insights into Paul, into what some of the early brethren were challenged with and how to prevail against those teachings and false doctrine. Uh, some of the ideas about the second coming, we still deal with the second coming today. People have completely false ideas about the second coming. And some people just have completely false and confused ideas about the scriptures. I am blessed slash cursed every Wednesday to walk out of my building where I work and listen to this man preach from the corner about the race riots in Tulsa. That man twists so much scripture. I, every time I walk out there, he says something, and I'm like, no, no, that's completely out of context. And some of the stuff he says just absolutely blows my mind. But as Christians, we're to rightly divide the Word of God. And this summer, this opportunity is afforded to us to gather together every Wednesday night and rightly divide the books of 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. So that's why we should study uh, the books of 1st Thessalonians, or another reason. Um, there's a lot of meat to these two books. This is with any book you read in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, there's a lot of meat to it. It's not fluff. Um, Shell's gathering material for homeschool this year to teach the big kids, and she switched material because she felt like the material last, last year was just fluffy. It's fluffy. And she's like, I need something to challenge my kids, and it's difficult, and would put them to the test. So we changed up the material. The Bible's not fluffy. There's a lot of meat to it, and there's much knowledge to be gained by attending and listening and learning to each, each, le each lesson. Uh, we've used executable outlines here before in a summer, in a Wednesday night Bible class when the men were teaching over the book of John. Um, Brother Mark Copeland is a preacher in Kissimmee, Florida, and he has a website, executable outlines. I know Doyle's used it a little bit before. But I was reading, reading through his overview and some of his material. And I like the idea he offered a key passage of each epistle. Um, and I believe that's beneficial to us to look at a key passage from each epistle um, as we close here this evening. Uh, that will help us think about these. And maybe, maybe a scripture that we can focus on memorizing from each book as this summer goes on. I'm not going to test you at the end of the summer series, but it's just an idea. Uh, if, you'll, we'll, if you will, turn over with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. The first one out of 1 Thessalonians that he brings forth is uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 12 through 13. Let's start, go ahead and start with 11. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do to you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. And that's exactly what we can do this, this summer. We can abound in love to one another. Okay, We can establish our hearts blameless in holiness by coming here and learning and studying, improving, growing. And sorry, there's people circling our parking lot in their cars. Got distracted. Um, 
but that's what that's what we can do. That's how we can do. And it's it's titled here in the uh, New King James Prayer for the Church. And it is a good prayer for the brethren that our heart that um, our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and all, just as we do to you, so that He may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all His saints. Wouldn't that be a wonderful thing if we can look around and we know that at the day of salvation, we know that we helped each other establish our hearts blameless in holiness before the Lord God Father? That we helped each other get to that point? And we can learn and grow and we can do that through these lessons and encourage each other. And we can do that on a regular basis uh, by uh, doing some of the things Brother Kirk talked about on Sunday night. You know, being relentless and being all in for the gospel. Um, attending when we need to. Doing the work of the church. Uh, let's go ahead and turn over to Second Thessalonians chapter 2. Then we'll look at the uh, key passage of scripture here. We're going to start in verse 15. Therefore, brethren, hold fast. Sorry. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or our epistle. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and our God and Father, who has loved us and given us everlasting consolation and good hope by grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. Stand fast and hold the traditions which you were taught, whether by the word or our epistle. Obviously, we have this epistle to read and learn and understand and help us to stand fast and hold to the traditions we were taught. Now, the traditions we were taught, what we've been taught, that's what's in the Word of God. We don't hold to man's traditions. We hold to God's biblical teaching. And we get that through, again, the epistles, the New Testament, the Old Testament we can learn from. Um, and to be comfort, com- or comfort our hearts and establish us in every good work, good word and good work. Good word and work. I can put good in front of it, it still means the same. Uh, and that we are, we're established in every good work. We're established in every good word that there can't be a bad thing said about the Luga congregation. That we come here to learn and we're established, we stand fast and we hold we hold fast to the truth and established in every good word and in every good work. So those are the two passages again, first Thessalonians first Thessalonians eleven through thirteen and second Thessalonians two, fifteen through seventeen. And I made it this far without messing up Thessalonians so many times. Um, so there is the introduction to the books of First and Second Thessalonians for us to think about. Uh, I hope again to see each and every one of you at each lesson that you're afforded to. Um, I won't be at every one. I've got travel to do this summer, but I will try to do my best to listen and grow from this. It has been encouraging for me to study it, and as I hope it is encouraging for everybody to come together and learn and study from these two amazing books of Scripture. Um, If you have need this evening, we will sing Trust and Obey, number 214. And if you have need at this time, you can come forward as we stand and sing.